Welcome to Institutionalized, living after deconstruction and promoting mental health. I'm your host, Josh T, and each week we'll dive into interesting topics and bring you stories from fellow travelers on the road of life. In this raw, accepting, and sometimes hilarious space, we'll ask the questions we weren't allowed to ask, challenge norms that keep us stuck in the past, and actively listen to perspectives that might be different than our own. And if we listen carefully enough, we might learn something that helps us love ourselves and our neighbors better. This is Institutionalized, living after deconstruction. If change and growth are not programmed into your spirituality, if there are not serious warnings about the blinding nature of fear and fanaticism, your religion will always end up worshiping the status quo and protecting your present ego position and personal advantage as if it were God. Father Richard Rohr from Falling Upward. I've been asked recently what the word deconstruction means. So before getting into my own personal experience with this word and what it means to me, I did a little Google search and it means breaking down or analyzing something to discover its true significance. I've lived within that definition for the last 20 plus years. And I think I'm finally at the place of what now? So the definition feels a little bit incomplete. Like there should be an and dot, dot, dot. How do you finish this process? Some people like to call it reconstruction. Uh, I consider it a blank slate moment in life. I think we all get to a certain age where old beliefs are challenged by lived experience. And often that lived experience is the first time we've ever really had to handle intense suffering, prolonged suffering. And often we have no idea what to do with that. That was my case. I had never experienced intense, prolonged suffering until about three years ago. One word changed my world. One virus, COVID-19. I got COVID for the first time in 2021. The first seven days I had a fever and was in and out like all the time. They went by so fast. I thought it was three or four days. But after that, I noticed my taste and smell being way off. I smelled, everything smelled like a rancid dumpster from cinnamon toast crunch to my beloved diet Mountain Dew to steak or chicken. It all smelled and tasted the exact same. Uh, I proceeded to lose a ton of weight and it wasn't long after I noticed my taste and smell being off that I started to lose sleep. And uh, if anyone has gone through insomnia, it is a cruel affliction. And I was coaching basketball at the time, and once I got cleared, it was back to work. And I'm coaching basketball games on 15, 30 minutes of sleep. It was brutal. And this lasted for about two weeks, and then my sleep would get better, and then it would get worse. And along with all of that, comes elevated anxiety 
and I had never dealt with anxiety before. I had always just been, you know, I kind of grew up on a stage playing basketball and under a microscope. So I was used to performing as a man, doing my job and showing up, even if my body is hurting, even if I'm not feeling, I'm a warrior. That's who I am. I'm going to will it. And with your mental health, I realized that that's not how it works. Unfortunately, it took me a long time to realize this. And I was trying to get help for it. I was going to the doctor. I went to a neurologist where they did an MRI of my brain and I had scarring. Um, I had Lyme disease when I was 21. And apparently that autoimmune response kicked in because Lyme disease, you never really are over it. You just live with it. And that and the COVID autoimmune response just caused absolute haywire in my system. And I could not get this figured out. I was just going to wait through it, get through it. And then the next year, got it again. So it was almost like the cycle started over. Not, not so much with the insomnia and all that stuff the next year, but the anxiety, it kept getting worse. I started showing real signs of mood disorders and OCD and all that stuff. Some days it was like my skin was on fire. My heart was just beating out of my chest for no reason. And uh, it happened again the next year. I ended up getting COVID three different times, even though I had been vaccinated. And honestly, I did not know how to handle all this. I wasn't equipped uh, with the tools to handle a, a mental health crisis. And men, we so often do it alone. We isolate, we internalize, and the first book ever written on male depression is called I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terry Reel. That book opened my eyes to generational trauma and how important it is to heal the wounds of the past and understand yourself, uh, to be able to live a mentally healthy life and have good relationships and be able to let things go. Let go of worry about the future, anger about the past, so you can really live in the present. And when you're suffering at the level that I was suffering, it almost becomes impossible to live in the present uh, when anxieties are crippling you. So I got to the point where I had to let go and prioritize my mental health. I did not know what that would look like. I just knew that I was struggling and I needed help. And I checked myself in to a local mental health facility and did a two-month group therapy and medication management program. It was honestly the best thing I could have ever done for myself. And I realized that this wasn't just some existential midlife crisis. I was sick and I got medication that helped me out. I was diagnosed with a mood disorder, anxiety disorder, and OCD. I had had OCD in my life, but it had always been something that had, you know, my obsessions. It had been something that helped me become good at things. But when you're having an anxiety disorder, your obsessions are on your anxiety and the things that you're anxious about. And that 
is difficult to deal with without treatment. I've talked to so many people who have gone through very similar things after getting COVID. And right now I'm feel balanced. I feel like I got the medication right. And I'm ready for life after this crisis, so to speak. But something that happened during all of this was I was revisited with a existential crisis, a crisis of faith. Just because I was sick doesn't mean that that didn't exist. One thing COVID gave us was time. It gave us time to look into things. It gave us time to study. It gave us time to deconstruct things and systems that we've always just accepted as true without questioning. And for many, myself included, it went all the way back to our roots. When I got Lyme disease at 21, I got hospitalized. They didn't know what was going on. I thought I might die. And then I got better in a few weeks. It was after that that I realized I had no idea what I believed. I had just accepted everything that I'd been taught or told. My faith was a hand-me-down faith. It wasn't authentic. And it made me question everything. The next year in my Bible doctrines class at my Christian college, I had so many questions. But my professor opened up the whole class with a warning against scorners and false teachers and stumbling blocks to the faith. Uh, wasn't really a place where questions were, you know, promoted. He once said, some people may ask, can God make a rock that's so big that he can't move it? Then he said the words I'll never forget. He said the answer is yes. And once he creates that rock, then he'll move it. I don't know if that was the moment that I had lost my faith, but I do know that by the end of that class, I had a hard time believing much of what had been taught. Um, and I realized that it was because going in there, I was a lot more blank slate than I had ever been, and I hadn't dropped my logic at the door in order to engage with the certitude that was our theology. I realized how insulated I had been my whole life from any ideas outside of Baptist Christian doctrine and the confessions of faith and the things that we held theologically to be true. So I started getting outside my bubble and uh, reading different things and writing a lot because I didn't have anyone to talk to. I thought that I was alone because still lingering in the back of my mind somewhere, I was worried that I could be a stumbling block. I could cause someone else to lose their faith. I could lead someone right through the gates of hell. And I've even had that brought to my attention in starting this podcast. It was like, what, what are my intentions? What am I trying to do here? Uh, why wouldn't it be better if I just stayed silent about it? I think that's how we all suffer alone, is that kind of attitude. And I just don't think that a place of honest contemplation, honest reflection, 
holding an honest, logical, critical lens to anything is bad. Like that's something that actually has to happen. And in my church and school that I grew up in, that wasn't allowed to happen. You don't question the pastor. You don't question the Bible. You don't question your theology. You don't question the fundamentals of the faith. And to me, that just feels intellectually dishonest to just accept something as fact without really thinking about it and doing the work. And one of the biggest things for me early in my deconstruction was the concept of hell. And I have some Native American heritage, and I just could not get past the fact that before Chris Columbus came to the new world, there's no way these Native Americans could have heard of Jesus Christ. And so they just live and die and go to hell. And I just, every apologetics thing that still stuck to Christ is the only way to heaven and the only way is through him. That just didn't, that didn't land. Uh, it didn't stick. And I know there's other arguments about, you know, that God makes a way for everyone where they are. Well, you know, if that's the case, then Buddhist kids are going to be in heaven. And then Hindu kids who never had a chance to hear about the gospel or, or our version of Christianity. And the simple truth of the matter, whether we want to accept it or not, is if we were born in a different part of the world with different beliefs from our families and traditions, that we would most likely adopt those beliefs. If we were born in India, we'd probably be Hindu. If we were born in China, we'd probably be Buddhist. And if my Baptist theology is true, then the vast majority of everyone that I know and love and me would go to hell forever just for being born in the wrong place, exposed to the wrong ideas. That just doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem true to me. Uh, and saying that God is love is completely incongruent with the idea of eternal conscious torment infinitely for the finite, quote, crime of unbelief, or not believing the right way, or simply being born in the wrong place, indoctrinated into the wrong beliefs. I just don't get that. I don't get it at all. I never have, uh, once I started actually thinking about it. And, and there's another kind of harrowing realization that comes with that, is I was born somewhere and I was indoctrinated into a set of cultural and religious beliefs of that place in that time. So what do I do with that? It's tough. I deconstruct, I guess. And I look for people along the way who are going through the same things fighting the same battles, struggling with some of the same thoughts, especially 
the thoughts that were burned into our brains from before we could form a complete sentence that harm us daily, sometimes minutely, hourly, that just sneak into our self-talk and bring us down and crush us and hurt our mental health. Every therapeutic place I've ever entered, whether it's group therapy, individual therapy, support groups, any space like this is a space of radical acceptance, a space where people can speak freely about their addictions, about their struggles, about not having all the answers. It's a place for people struggling with their neuroplasticity, their ability to adjust and adapt to certain things, to cope uh, with hardships or problems in their lives. They need help. They need support. And sometimes I wonder that if our churches looked like this, if we wouldn't have people leaving the church in record numbers. I mean, you can look it up, especially Gen Z and millennials. I mean, people are out. They're, they're not seeing healing, support. They're not seeing love. And I know there are some great churches out there before anyone comments or leaves a review and says, not all churches. I know there are great churches out there. What I'm talking about is the business of American Christendom. Instead of being a place for the broken, it's so often become a place to preach against the broken. And the irony is, who needs love more than the broken? I relearned this recently during my mental health crisis, and I realized that that place of radical acceptance that I found myself in was a place of healing. And the language in that room was just so different. The language of healthy psychology was so different than the language of church. I listened to story after story of people whose traumas and events in their pasts affected their behaviors in the present and how them connecting those dots led to healing, led to making peace, led to confronting abusive relationships, creating boundaries, and ultimately changing their behaviors. I mean, it was fascinating to watch. It was fascinating to go through the process. And it was so opposite of what we went through in church to try to change our behaviors. They used guilt. They used shame. We never looked at anything outside of rules and regulations. We didn't really get into the whys of why things were right, why things were wrong. Like, we just had the Bible and God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I just don't believe that we're worthless. I don't believe that we're unworthy of love and our life can't have any meaning outside of Jesus. I don't believe that we're born with an original sin nature passed down from Adam and there's nothing that we can do about our wickedness. It's such a sad and low view of humanity that it makes me not surprised that we're, you know, have a hard time showing love to each other because, you know, we don't see 
just innate worth in humanity. We see it, even our righteousness is filthy rags. And sometimes even subconsciously, it just shows up in the way we other people. And we treat who's in the club and who's out of the club. We have the lost, we have the saved. It doesn't look the same for everyone. I've learned that. I've been around Buddhists, I've been around atheists, I've been around Christians, I've been around so Hindus, and I've seen so much beauty and so many of everyone's thoughts, so much love, so much kindness, so much everything. And then there's these things, these beliefs that we held hold that make us harm other people. And in my life, honestly, I just want to let some of that stuff go. I want to drop off the baggage and I want to be worthy of love. I want to be someone whose life has meaning and it's hard sometimes to make meaning out of what's going on when you're suffering, but learning how to reframe, learning how to have positive self-talk, actually listening to people when they're telling a story or when they're giving their perspective instead of waiting on our turn to speak so we can change their mind and get them on the right path. We're all taking a lot of different paths. And sometimes I just ask myself, like, who knows what is right for me? Is what is right for me what is right for everyone else? I don't know. I just know that we're all different. And I'm not going to let my old religious beliefs hurt me anymore. I'm not going to let black and white thinking cause division among me and my family or my neighbors or my friends. I don't want to be someone who draws divided lines, dividing lines between peoples and groups. I just want to love people. I just want to be there for people. And if you're feeling like you're alone out there, I've felt like this for so long. We're so conditioned, not just in our religions, but in our societies to keep things in. It took me 30 years to tell the person closest to me that I was abused when I was 11 years old by an authority figure. And I've always had a hard time with authority. I've always struggled with that. And through a lot of therapy and a lot of self-reflection and a lot of grace to myself, I was able to understand where this came from. I have a hard time with authority because I've been abused by authority. So my eye toward abuse is very keen. And it was very keen all the way through high school, middle school. And I saw abuse within our church over and over again. And it wasn't just our church. We hosted conferences where other pastors would come in. And then these pastors later on would turn out that they had been abusing people for years. And it was just a cycle. And I wondered to myself, we are wicked sinners and there's nothing we can do about it, but we have the grace of God. Christ died for our sins. We can say this prayer and we can have eternal 
security. No matter what we do on earth, we can be forgiven. And the people that we abused are commanded to forgive us. And I think that this whole thing, what I was raised in, you have a pastor at the top telling everyone how they're supposed to live and control and his interpretation of the Bible is God's interpretation of the Bible because he's the man of God. You have these kind of things and they are recipes for abusive behaviors. And I don't think it's the people. I don't think it's just because churches are made of fallen people. I think it, we need to take a look at the theology. I think we need to take a look at some of these things that allow places like the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church and the Southern Baptist Church, the Catholic Church, why are these things happening? And uh, there's a documentary that just came out on HBO Max called Let Us Pray, A Ministry of Scandals. And it's about the denomination that I grew up in, uh, Tennessee Temple University. You know, we weren't quite as legalistic as your Hiles and Hiles Anderson and Bob Jones and Pensacola folks, any of you independent Baptists know who I'm talking about. But we were had the same theology. And with the same theology, it came the same fruit. And if something is true and holy and good and the right way, wouldn't there be better fruit? Wouldn't these abuses not be happening on the scale that they're happening? There's something amiss, and this is why the conversations need to have be, be had. Because if they aren't had, then we're still going to keep running through the same cycle. Now, honestly, I'm so glad that we finally live in a time where abuse survivors feel safe enough to come out, say what's happened to them, and seek justice. And just the fact that all of this stuff has happened in the churches that I grew up in, all over the place, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to believe. It's, I mean, it's hard to believe that this is it. So that's the question I have. And I want to talk to people. I want to talk to people of all different beliefs. I want to talk to people who have had all different experiences. Life experiences and what we can learn from it is so valuable. And you can't put a price tag on it. And often when you hear somebody's story, it's almost like they're holding up a mirror and you see a little bit of yourself. Thank you so much for listening today. And I want to encourage you to subscribe, stay in the conversation, because this deconstruction is hard. It's not for the faint of heart but it is for the intellectually honest, the spiritually honest, the spiritually curious. And I'd love to be there for any of you who feel like you've been going through this alone because it shouldn't be gone through alone. I did it alone for way too long. And then I realized that there was a whole space and a whole community and support groups and there were millions of us across the country, across the world, who've been going through the same thing. And I just want to encourage you to hang in there and keep searching. Mm -hmm.
I had a professor once that said truth never fears a challenge and I believe that if it's true it'll win out in the end but that doesn't mean that we should not use our brains and analyze and think and practice what we know to be true in our hearts regardless of what we've been taught or taught or told and that is love is good we can't go wrong if we err on the side of loving our neighbor and loving ourselves and by doing those things i imagine that we're loving god as well